We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Let's look at the mountains for perspective. The psalmist says, they are long, we are short. Our days are like grass. They pop up in the morning dew and they are gone by the scorching sun of the afternoon. But the mountains, they are here long. They were here long before we arrived. They'll be here long after we're gone. So let's live this short, short story that is the life that we get on this earth, let's live it as fantastically as we can. Well, that in a nutshell is Psalm 90. And I said last week that at certain times of the year, Lent is one of them, September when the calendar kind of takes off is another, to a lesser degree Advent for some people, their birthdays. And this time of year, when the turn of the new year comes, at certain times of the year, because our brains excel at drifting, because our brains excel at losing the plot, because our brains excel at drifting from intention and purpose, these times of the year, our wisdom tradition invites us to come back and to consider carefully how we live. Consider intentionally how we live. Last week, we explored how we might use this natural rhythm, not chasing the self-improvement task cycle that often comprises what New Year's resolutions are and has proven to be pretty empty, kind of fruitless for a lot of us, but instead to think about how we might better nurture our souls for the year. The premise being that we are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light, so we have in us already everything that we need to flourish, so let's use this natural rhythm of returning to consider how to nourish what is already in us. And yet again, I told one of our tribal myths, the story of the orange tree. The tree has everything in it that it needs to flourish. All we need to do is nurture what's already there. If you missed last week, you can catch up along, uh, on that online. Now, to go along with our lesson this year, you heard uh, a moment earlier that Pearlie's going to be planning a Zoom get-together two Saturdays from now. I asked her to do a quick video for us to kind of explain what she's going, and she apologized for the road noise, but you can still hear her. <laughs> I'll start it again. You know, we practiced this before. And it went seamlessly.
Hurley's done this a few times. She's pretty good at it. If you're a visual thinker, Saturday on Zoom, 28th, I think it is. Uh, you can find the link to it uh, just about everywhere we put stuff. It's on the website. It's in the app. Uh, it'll be in the email coming out. And by the way, thank you, Kate and Jen, who got that all up there for us. Burley did say it's going to be limited to about 20 people, so you might want to do that quickly. So these are the questions that we're going to be talking about after the lesson. Um, give you some time to be thinking. Toward the end of the lesson, I'm going to talk about three more soul-nourishing practices than you know, I did at the end of the lesson last week as well. Um, you're going to hear me talk about a rhythm of rest, eating together with other people, learning from a live person instead of Google. And you're going to hear today uh, that the word that uh, we're going to use meant something different in the spiritual tradition, a rule of life. You're going to hear about that. So have you experienced um, one of these things? Has it gone well? And have you had a rule in your life, and has that rule moved you forward, or has it held you back? Uh, you could be thinking about those while the lesson goes on. So today let's talk about rhythm, a rhythm of soul nurture. And let's go somewhere uh, atypical for inspiration. Let's go to the monasteries. <laughs> let's look at the lives of those who for centuries have lived in cloistered spiritual communities, dedicating their lives to the rhythm of spiritual nurture, the very thing we're talking about today. Let's look at the lives of monks and nuns. If monks and nuns have mastered anything, it is this rhythm of returning that we've been talking about. If they've mastered anything, it is a strategic approach to being awake while living in brains that tend to put us to sleep. If they've mastered anything, it's a strategic approach to staying on track, living in brains that one of the old songs said are prone to wander. Now, to understand how they mastered this rhythm, we have to think about this guy, Benedict of Nursia. Ben was a monk in Italy in the 400s and the 500s. And what he did as a monk was travel around starting new monasteries. And to help these new cloistered communities, he wrote a book so that they would know what to do, they would know when to do it. And his book was called The Rule of Benedict. And it became a very influential book in Western society, influenced for a long, long time how people lived, less so now. But in Latin, in the 400s, the word rule was less about heavy-handed restrictions. It was more about the root meaning we hear in the word ruler, uh, <clears throat> a straight piece of wood. It was about keeping things straight. It was about keeping things in order, the keeping things straight of Benedict, the rule of Benedict. A rule was like a trellis. Uh, for vines to grow on, a way to structure things, and a way to order things so that there would be good outcome. Well, Benedict's trellis, his ruler, his way to order the rhythm of cloistered communities became also, for century, a rhythm for all Western Christians. If you like history, you might want to snap a picture of this book. Uh, it's a great one. Uh, Built into Benedict's rhythm were all four quadrants that we call working the circle. Built into Benedict's rule were the communal practices, the contemplative practices, 
the learning practices, and the serving practices. And you might know that our community, when you might not know, when our community organized around this concept that we call working the circle, most of what we drew from came from Benedict. After the fall of Rome, when ancient cultural learning centers were kind of crumbling, when Western society was kind of devolving and decentralizing, and when the institutional church with depressing regularity was falling into corruption, the Irish monks in their cloistered communities gathered around these four categories of spiritual practice that we call the circle, and one of those was the learning practices. So they held on to the wisdom of the ancient world. They held on to the documents that held the wisdom of the ancient world. They protected them and they copied them and they uh, wrote them out and they passed them from generation to generation so that later that wisdom that was held in the ancient world could come back and be a gift given to society and become the foundation of the Renaissance and become the foundation of the newly emerging modern era around 1500. It's a good book. You might like it. So influential, Benedict and his rule. Influential, his trellis, his ruler. But not just influential for monks and for nuns. Back in the days when church bells were a part of village life, the bell was a reminder, usually at 9, usually at noon, usually at 3 in the afternoon, a reminder to pause whatever we were doing for just a moment to breathe, <clears throat> to perhaps say a breath prayer, usually the Our Father breath prayer, a moment to consider, consider how we live, a moment to consider how spirituality is informing this daily life that I am living right now. The bell was a reminder to consider what is deeper than the more urgent concerns that I am facing right now, to take a moment, take a breath, and remember. Also, in cathedral towns, on the way to work, you could stop by the cathedral for matins. On the way home from work, you could stop by the cathedral for vespers, which were a moment on our way to our days and a moment on our way from our days to consider how we have lived, how we will live. And that rhythm, the bells, the prayers, that was originated with Benedict and his book, The Rule. It was a plan, and it was a plan for nourishing souls. It was a plan, and it was a plan for wandering minds and distracted people. It was a plan for returning. It was a plan that made sure that we nurtured our bodies, made sure that we nurtured our souls, made sure that we nurtured our relationships, made sure that we would feed that which is in us that we already have that is the source of our thriving and flourishing. Now, you and I, we don't live in the 5th century anymore, and you and I, we don't live in cloistered communities. So for us, the content in the book itself is a little bit less helpful. It's 100 pages long. It's got 73 chapters crammed into those 100 pages, and it outlines a pretty rigorous schedule of what to wear, nothing flashy, when to pray, eight times a day, where to live, one place for your whole life, <laughs> when to be silent from 8 p.m. until 8 a.m., what to own, nothing, <laughs> when to fast, all the time, <laughs> when to be hospitable, always, when to work, when to rest. It was a rhythm that ordinary people can't live. 
which is why monastics live in cloistered communities, live cloistered lives. But even though the content and the structure of the book itself isn't that helpful, the concept of having a rule for living, a rule to follow for our days, a trellis for our lives to grow on, that is very, very helpful. Which is why we do get organized each year and why we do uh, get the team together in the late part of the fall to start planning the groups and events for how we'll work the circle to come in the new year. And it's why we do have this rhythm within our community of returning to each one of the quadrants, times in which we invite one another into the four categories of practice. The circle builds into our lives the same principles that Benedict organized for the cloistered lives. The circle is a rhythm. It is a pattern. It is a trellis. It is a ruler. It helps us return to intentional living and then to return again and again and again and again because, again, our minds are prone to wander. This morning, as we usually do two or three times a year, we returned to the welcome prayer, as we'll do for the month of January. We returned at other times to mindfulness practice or examine or loving-kindness meditation. You will see when Heather's doing the announcements, there's always an invitation to something communal, some communal practice, a chili cook-off on the 29th, beer or soda on the 5th. There's always an invitation to move through the stages of belonging, to start with public belonging, move to social belonging, move to personal belonging, move to deep belonging. There's always an invitation to serve something that is bigger than ourselves, like this morning creating space for all of us to meditate together or to sing together because music makes community. There's One Wake, there's Braver Angels. This year we're going to do with Ridge Road a project, uh, Rise Against Hunger. You might have heard the organization. We're going to work on that together. Working the circle is a rule. It is a ruler. It is a trellis. It is a pattern that helps us build lives that in the long run we want. And being part of a community that has a rhythm helps us return to relationships that nurture us, to quietness and silence that nurtures us, to serving and selflessness that nurtures us, helps us return to the trellis on which we want our lives to grow. So the invitation of the circle is an invitation to build a circle of living. Now, here's the thing. Everybody already has a rule for life. And everybody's rule is already working. It is taking us where it takes us. Because our routines are the trellises that do determine where our lives grow. The thing that's different about what we're talking about this morning, the invitation of the spiritual life, the invitation of intentional living is to asking ourselves in a recurring way, is the rule that I am currently living the rule that I want to be living? Is this rule nourishing my deepest self? Is this rule directing our growth where we want our growth to go? And again, this time of year, our cultural norms actually encourage us to revisit the rule we are currently living. 
I'm doing that in my own life right now. I hope you'll do it with me. I mentioned last week, my life, like yours, has faced three years of imposed externalities that have been a great big distraction. The pandemic, the search for a new home, being crowded out of our old home, moving, still moving. But this year, I feel settled enough that I've started to feel like I'm waking up. And I started to remember, oh yeah, I do have a rhythm of returning. Oh yeah, I do these things. I've done them for years, but I've Excuse me, I've neglected them. And the one that I've neglected most has been silence. I've had in the past a weekly and a quarterly and an annual rhythm of silence. So I'm building that back into my rule. My focus this year is silence, but your focus might be something different. When you imagine the four categories of practice that makes up the circle, what does your soul need? What would be nurturing to you right now? And the invitation of these moments in time are to ask ourselves, to ask ourselves, what do I need now? What will nourish my soul now? Communal, contemplative, learning, serving. Last week, I suggested three things to consider. More carefully curate our scrolling, create more silent spaces, schedule an encouraging contact. Practices that can inform the trellis on which our lives grow. Less self-improvement task, more soul-nurturing rhythm. I also suggested odds are one of these is not the one for you. They were, and the few more that I'm going to suggest later in a moment, uh, they are less a thing you should do and more an invitation for us to be asking what should I do? If not this, then what? What will be the thing that will be nurturing my soul? What will be the development of a here now small doable thing that is the rhythm of this time of life? It's an invitation to listen for the interior nudges that come if we are quiet. That one we will hear the inner voice say, That one will uh, awaken you to the inner light that you carry. That one is for you. That one is for now. So today, I'm going to make a few more suggestions. Like last week, odds are not the one for you, but maybe. But if not this one, may trigger your thinking about the other thing. What shall our rule be this year? You might consider building into the rhythm of your life, eating with other people. Over the last 60 to 70 years, technology and lifestyle have fundamentally upended a very core evolutionary human practice that is a gazillion years old. The core practice of human well-being of eating together. Eating with our people, but in the ancient practice of hospitality, going out of our way to eat with the stranger as well. Eating together is a bonding experience. Eating together is a unifying experience. Eating together is a community-making experience. Eating together lowers our defenses, makes it easier to listen, makes it easier to change perspective, to see what we haven't seen, and we don't do it as much as we used to. Eating together is a deeply human practice. It sets aside time for doing, to emphasize instead time for togethering. 
And because we don't do it as much anymore, we are collectively, culturally impoverished. It's quite possible that a rule for living might be scheduling time for eating with others, maybe with loved ones, maybe with emerging friendships, maybe at home, maybe a packed lunch in the park sitting at a picnic table. This year, several in the community are thinking about how we could eat more. You heard about that a little earlier. We've got this fellowship hall. We've got this courtyard now. How might we create spaces for this deep human practice? And maybe it would be a rule for your life this year. The most ancient of ancient wisdom tells us to set aside a day each week to not work. Now, in earlier times than the one we live in, that rest day was a socially agreed upon rhythm of stopping, a socially agreed upon rhythm of resting, a socially agreed upon rhythm of delighting, a time to gather with those that we love and to not be hurried because there was nowhere else to go anyway. But it's very difficult to practice a day of rest, a rhythm of resting, when it is not a culturally agreed upon time. Because those that we would spend time with would be doing, perhaps work on that day, or would have other things to do or other places to go. So it's hard to practice not doing when we don't all practice not doing together. So it may not be possible to implement the idea of a rest day and to impose it upon those who are in your circle, those who you would like to practice your rhythm of rest with. Uh, but if you can, by all means do. If you can create a space and all agree on it together, great. But if not, we return to our core principle of doing things. Come on, tell me what it is. Aha. <laughs> Not the right order, but you got the right words. Here, now, small, doable. That's right. We start here, now, small, doable. We put the tiny into tiny habits. I talked to Denise a couple of days ago. We were just thinking about this. We are thinking about the possibility of making Sunday afternoons a no-screen time slot in our house, except for the e-ink Kindles because we don't read paper books anymore. It's going to be an adjustment to not watch something on a late afternoon Sundays because that's been our habit. But I did start looking around at my week and I looked at the time slots that I have and I realized uh, that's probably going to be the best bet. We do have a fireplace we can sit by when it's cold. We do have a porch we can sit on when it's warm. We could talk. I do like cooking. I could actually make a plan for a meal. We could have sex on Sunday afternoons. We could have our kids over more often, preferably not at the same time. <laughs> seems, <laughs> seems like we could make our Sunday afternoons more intentionally restful, more soul-nurturing, more a trellis that would direct our soul's nurture and growth. Now, for years, I did not rest on Sunday afternoons. The church that I worked at was all day for Jesus. They actually said that, all day for Jesus. So when our kids were young, we protected Mondays. Now, <clears throat> since everybody on the same schedule isn't really possible, it seems less important when we practiced rest than that we practiced rest. So maybe that, maybe that for you 
set, aside, a, set a, setting aside a time for what used to be called the Sabbath, a rhythm of rest. Uh, another thing that Robin has taught us through the years, as she has taught us the Enneagram, is how well served we are when we borrow insight from the other personality types. For example, some people, it is as easy as can be to extend grace to knuckleheads. It is as easy as can be to extend understanding to people who are misbehaving. In fact, that personality has to learn to not extend grace. That personality has to learn to set boundaries and to insist on those boundaries and has to learn how to insist on being respected. But for the other personalities, when we see that natural capacity for grace, we can look and say, ah, that ability to be patient and forgiving that way, I did not even realize that was an option. I did not realize that was one of the ways that we could go. Uh, not getting even is a possibility. Wait a minute. So one of the ways that we could nurture our souls this year is to create a regular reminder of learning from others. So maybe you know someone who manages their finances well. Or maybe you know someone who takes care of their body well or someone who handles relationships well, or someone who raises children well, or someone who manages time or runs projects well. We've learned to default to Google. We've learned as Americans to do it on our own. We've learned how to handle things on our own, and thankfully we've got a lot of great resources to do that. I love being able to Google stuff. But we didn't, inv we didn't evolve in a Google environment. We evolved in tribes. And we spent time learning eye to eye and heart to heart with flesh and blood human beings. People who in the process could see things through with us and watch us and challenge us and celebrate us. Doing that with friends and with family and within a spiritual community. Now that is a rare commodity because we have learned to fragment as a society. We don't know how to do that, which is why we revisit this process and consider making it part of the rule, the ruler, the trellis of our lives, to be more up close and personal in our learning. It's a primal approach. So maybe this year you just set a tickler file to remember, ask somebody, Set a tickler file to remind you so that when the moment comes up, learn from somebody. I started this practice when I was in my 20s, and it was awkward. It felt a little bit embarrassing. It felt like I was horning my way in on other people's time, like I was somehow imposing on them. Or, on the other hand, it also felt like I was weak or I was needy. Now that I've practiced this for 40 years, uh, that was silly. I know it now. First, even if I was horning my way in on someone else's time, it was so worth it. Because <laughs> the stuff that I have learned from other people, well, well worth any kind of inconvenience I caused them. <laughs> but the thing is, it's not been that, not even a bit. Remember I said a moment ago, we evolved in tribes. So it is just as human to give insight as it is to ask for it. 
And for 40 years of doing this, intentionally at first, now I do it without even thinking about it, not once has ever anyone looked at me sideways. Not once has anyone ever indicated that I was weak or needy because I was asking them to teach me something, not once. Now, to be fair, I tend not to hang around with assholes. (laughs) I tend to hang around with pretty emotionally intelligent people, so my results may be skewed, but it is a deep part of our human wiring to learn from one another. Person to person, is better than Google. So, curate our scrolling, create more silent spaces, schedule encouragement, eating with others, a rhythm of rest, learning from others. May it be that we are people of renewal. In dwelling divine, may we become and be becoming people of wisdom. May we be growing on a trellis that is taking us where we want our destinies to be. Amen. All right, so let's get out our phones. Uh, We all give online now. The donate button is at the top of the website, commonthreadchurch.org. Lots of options, easy ways to give. If you're here in Raleigh or if you all are joining us remotely, we invite you all to take an ownership stake in the community. Right now, our monies are helping us occupy this new space. Later this year, our monies are going to be focused on developing our children and our teens groups. And remember what I always say, there is good return when we invest in community. We give our time and our energy and our love and our dollars, and the community takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of an environment in which we thrive and flourish and grow. So... We all give online on our website now. It's about as easy as can be. Please do that. Now, in a minute, we're going to dismiss you all on the live stream. And here in the room, we're going to do what are you thinking? Now, if you're online and maybe you haven't visited us before, you may not know that this is one of the best parts of our community life. Now, I love teaching. I love curating content, and I love finding the most wise wisdom I can find, and I love that I get to do most of the lessons for our community. But I've done it a long time now, and here's what I know. I know that very little of the growth that happens in people's lives happens because I stand up and say words. The processing of the words Boy, that's where the life is. And doing that processing alongside other people, that's where the life is. So here's the thing. Here in the room, participation is easy. All we've got to do is not walk out. In a moment, we'll stand up and form groups. You have the option to walk out. I hope you don't. But it's much harder for you uh, out there uh, watching online because you face a barrier to participation. You have to click a link you have to join a Zoom, and you don't know if those people are going to like you or not like you. You're going to know if they're, you don't know any of that stuff, but that link is in the YouTube notes, and it's also on the front page of our website, and if you, and remember the password, it's going to be 1417. Here's the thing. We can invite you to this, but it's going to be harder for you. But again, it's about the best thing that we do in our community. We found it so worth working through the resistance. So we hope you will. Link is uh, in the YouTube notes there. It's in the, uh, on the front page of the website. Again, the password 1417. And I know Scott is waiting for you. And Scott told me to say what I just said. <laughs> he would really like you to join him on the Zoom. 
All right, let's dismiss the folks online. If you would, put your hand on your heart, and let's remember as we go together that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. We carry love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's all in us because we carry the breath of God within us. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. Please head over to the Zoom. Those of us in the room here. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.